This episode of the podcast is a collaboration with Girl Underground Music and features Azam Ali, the Iranian-American multi-instrumentalist and vocalist on her sixth solo studio album called Phantoms. This one is out September 13th and is her exploration of our multidimensional selves. We all have our own personalities with different people, different situations, and this is her reconciliation of just that. And in an attempt to better navigate reality. It's a very interesting concept. Uh, Though she says she's not a conceptual artist, uh, this one is very thematic, very interesting, and she leaned heavy on the industrial influence that she grew up with, um, early 80s, 4AD style, uh, dark wave, post-punk... Um, She even covers Cocteau Twins, which was uh, incredible, Uh, an incredible cover. She made it entirely her own, and we talked about that for a little bit. This one runs a little shorter, as it is for, once again, Girl Underground Music. And thanks, Heather Hawk, for setting this one up. This one was so much fun. Uh, We got to hang out for a little bit and talk. I met her husband, her son. Then I went out and caught the opener, a three-piece electronic very ambient guy named uh jeff rona it was really cool talked to him about halfway through azam's set too caught him in the audience and i promise those pictures are coming soon bud and yeah then she came out blew the house down photos on girl underground music as well as my own website and uh thanks for listening it's a pleasure to speak about my work so you know thank you for the opportunity your your body of work is so extensive when i was doing research i was like wow oh my god one thing just one thing after another how old is she 85 (laughs) (laughs) it's just you you have to be one of the busiest people i've ever i've ever covered no i'm just a workaholic that's all i I love what i do and uh, i I allow myself maximum three days of doing nothing when I get tired. So it's just, I, I love I love working. That's not too bad. Three days a week of just... No, if I take anyone. a holiday for the first three days, I'm good. And then after that, I start getting really antsy and I want to get back to work. And, you know, it's just, I, I love, it's my happy place creating, mm. you know. Have you always been that way? Always. And I think partially also it's uh, because I grew up in a boarding school. So I had a very sort of structured upbringing Mm -hmm. for 11 years. I was in an English boarding school. So when you've grown up in boarding school, you're kind of the the level of discipline is it's quite intense. So I have a lot of self-discipline. And that often can make it hard to completely relax because you feel a lack of productivity when you're trying to relax. Mm. Well, that's, I think that's preferable to uh, the opposite. Yes, is, yes, especially in this day and age, it's so easy to become lazy. You know, we have Netflix, we have all these. And, and I get addicted very quickly. So I, I, if I want to watch a show on Netflix, I have to plan it. <laughs> so that you know what because i know i'm going to binge watch it so i'll right. tell myself okay i have nothing going on these two days and then i'm going to watch that show you know and then i'll just watch the whole thing <laughs> so needless to say i have not watched a show for months now you know oh wow yeah it's just been playing just working working hard a lot and i'm doing the show uh, i mean I'm, this is an, the, my first album that i'm produ- i've produced and and i'm releasing independently so it's a uh, hundred times more work for me. 
Yeah, and this one seems even more layered than than your previous work, a more uh, industrial feel. You took a very different approach I thought was really interesting. Um, what inspired that? Well, I, I didn't really conceptually plan to do this this record. I mean, I, I'm not a conceptual artist at all. I I kind of just begin experimenting with sounds, and then I allow the project to tell me what it wants to be. And I started writing it four years ago. And um, once the first two songs took shape, then I realized I was uh, tapping into a lot of the music that had inspired me from the 80s and 90s, a mm. lot of industrial music, a lot of shoegaze music, a lot of dark wave music. And um, and then I, I thought that would be very interesting just to kind of take that as far as it could go. And then before I knew it, you know, a few years into it, I, I had around 10 songs that I had um, completed and then I just um, I thought it would be an interesting album to, to put out there you know it's, it's very different from anything I've done and I always like that I feel it's in, it's people expect the same thing from you over and over again and mm. um, I think there's merit to that because they fall in love with with a particular sound and it's hard sometimes for my audience in particular because everything I do is so different to, to make that adjustment but I, I just love trying new things. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful work. I heard a lot of, uh, yeah, very 80s, a lot of 4AD inspired. Yes, yes. I saw that you, you covered uh, Cocteau Twins, and that was incredible. Thank you, thank thought, you. Who's going to do this better than, than this multi-instrumental Aww. work, you know, this artist? Uh, because it's so hard to cover anything in that genre, I feel, especially them, because they're such, they were such on the fringe of that style that um yes and they're yeah. so iconic that you know it's a, a, one of the first questions almost anybody asked me is weren't you scared to cover a cocktail twin <laughs> song and the strange thing is i wasn't because i came at it with such reverence because once once i did majority of the album i realized where I, what i was tapping into and, and then i thought it would be really nice to pay tribute to one band mm. that influenced me and gave me so much in that period and it just made it, w it was just it was obvious who that what band that was going to be and and I particularly chose a song that was not one of their biggest hits mm -hmm. because it's one of those songs that you would only know it if you were are a hardcore Cocteau Twins fan oh. so I, I that that's why I chose that song and then I was I got asked to write an essay about it by this mag from by Talkhouse magazine and then when I wrote the essay Simon Ramon from the band reached out to me and said he loved the essay oh, wow. and then I told him I that and then I sent him the song to listen to and he loved it so he, he ended up giving me a great quote and and he was very kind and what he said I think kind of pretty much says it all and that is what made my version special is that I didn't try to cover the song actually I just took the essence of how it made me feel mm. and I and then I decided the only way to do this is to not try to do it the way that they did it but to kind of just give it my own my own feel my own architecture so everything from it is very different in terms of the groove and all that so so that's why I wasn't afraid because I knew I had enough reverence and enough um, 
love for for what they created mm. you know that um that i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna fail right right what a beautiful approach to the to i guess know that that's theirs let me do my thing you know? Yes, I think that's how it should be when you do cover songs. And I don't really like doing cover songs, especially because the bands that I love, I feel it's the hardest thing to do when a song has made such an impact on you. Mm-hmm. How do you try to rewrite it? You know, it's yeah. one of like it's it's virtually impossible to do unless mm-hmm. you decide. You know what? I know the song, and now I'm just gonna like rewrite it in a completely different way and not try to to meet try to sort of recreate what they did right right and it's different to record and to as opposed to just playing a cover live right just to pay tribute to a band yes as opposed to recording it especially putting out an, putting it on this new album which is all english uh, yes and what inspired this is this uh was this a political move no, and oddly enough, that's another, th- as I said, once the first two songs were written, they both just turned out to be in English. You know, I did another album in 2006 called Elysium for the Brave, mm-hmm. and that has about five or six English songs on it. It's half English and then half just my nonsense language. <laughs> but um, I often th- wonder if maybe this is the album I wanted to make back then, but I wasn't ready back then. Mm. And I think there's also a fear that I always had that maybe if I did an English album, it wouldn't be on par with that of my idols. You know, I wanted to be sure I was doing an English record for the right reasons and not because, you know, I'm, you know, a lot of times world music artists, they feel compelled to do something in English because they think that's going to make them more popular. And it was just, I had all the... I, I feel like I did what I did for all the right reasons this time. I I made the record that wanted to get made. Right. You felt that this one had a sort of mind of its own. Yes. Guiding it in a especially way. because I was tapping into a lot of the the music I loved from you know that had in, influenced me when I came to America, and mm. I was listening to a lot of industrial music, electronic music, and a lot of 480 stuff. So, you know, it it just seemed very natural that if I was going to create music that was um, inspired by and influenced by that era, um, English just became the natural um, language in terms of being a conduit for the vocals, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I saw that you had worked with uh, Peter Murphy as well. Yes. And, and yes. Serge uh, Tankian. Serge Tankian, yes. Yeah, that was, yeah. A, that was a little twist. Yeah. Uh, when I saw that one, I was like, oh, He's coming tonight. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is he? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's an amazing person. It's odd because my so much of the work I have done is very ethereal, you know, but it's I always have seemed to draw... Um, people who who love who have so much edge in their music and oddly enough i was influenced by so much edge and that's what i tried to capture on this record is to really create that balance between the masculine edge and the female etherealness Mm -hmm. and the feeling on hope of that that disparity i read you were talking about uh, the rise of nationalism and extremism yes uh, coming back especially in this country um, how how did you approach the song Hope with that in mind? Well, like, it, you know, I call it hope, but it's really a song about the lack of hope, but eventually it will hopefully... Um, 
Okay, well, I'll start with the, the song itself. It's, I wrote that song, it was one night, I was incredibly, it was just like most people are feeling these days, I, just the weight of disparity about where, the, where we are moving, the, the, the direction we are moving towards is, is so wrong. And some, some, some days, some hours, it just weighs a lot more heavily, mm-hmm. I think, on each of us. And I wrote this song during one of those um, huge dips that I took. And uh, it's always the best thing to do. That's what, that's what art is. It's about taking our pain and being able to transform it into something that you can illuminate um, minds and hearts with. So it's a song about the rise of ethno-nationalism and extremism and losing of hope. But uh, at the end, you know, when something so beautiful comes out of it, for me, it's, it's a beautiful track. So there's this duality of of it being the content being something so so um depressing but at the same time something so beautiful and i think that's just life this this constant duality mm. and um and i have so much hope actually i have a lot of hope yeah I, so I, that's why i, I felt right about calling it hope even though people don't understand why i called it hope <laughs> <laughs> what i love about this and and Tell me if you feel the same way that in this political strife, in this, you know, uncertainty, this style of music, I, I believe, is is becoming more popular uh, for the American palate, I think, with uh, the rise of, not to say they're getting so popular, but Tinaroan and Dudutas and the Kuwaitis. Yes. We're starting to listen to this here, even in this xenophobic atmosphere we're trading ideas, we're trading art and music. And I think uh, as a silver lining, you know, <laughs> in this in this terrible time, we're, we're starting to come together more closely. I think where it counts. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, it, in Europe, I started touring in Europe in 2006. And, and for, for many years, I even though I was living here, I wasn't touring here. Mm-hmm. Because it was just, in, in Europe, people were just much more open to different sounds and you know, things were are not as foreign to them. Whereas in America during that time, I felt, you know, if you were especially a world music artist, if you were, if you were performing um, African or Latin music, it was still a bit more accessible for people because, mm. you know, it just, the nature of that music, it's more celebratory, it's more you can dance to it easier. So it just didn't seem as foreign. But now I'm seeing people getting more and more into, as you said, Hunhurtut. 15 years ago 20 years ago a band like that would have come here and five people would have showed up you know but right. now I'm, I'm loving it now i've done two festivals with them i'm about to go to another festival next month it's called new leaf festival and i'm pl- performing with them again and it's amazing to me that i see this kind of you know as there's so much talk about walls there's at the same time this desire to to kind of grasp for everything is that that is outside within walls whether they're conceptual or you know yeah i think it's a beautiful thing overall absolutely yeah um with i wanted to speak about um phantoms the video specifically i thought it was really interesting it's all blue (laughs) (laughs) which is that it wasn't even bleak it was it was warm and with the reds coming through and that duality in the in the style of shooting 
what was your what was your uh, inspiration for that duality? It was this sense of um, I read you you said something about multi-dimensional uh, working within the uh, multiverse. I thought that was really interesting. Was did that inform the video? Well, the, you know, the album itself, Phantoms, is about how we, each of us, develop multidimensional selves, a series of physical, mental, and emotional bodies that we, that we sort of develop in order to navigate in a multidimensional universe. If you think about all the different people that you yourself are, depending on who you are with, there are so many aspects to each of us, you mm. know. And you're one person with your mother, you're another person with your partner, with your best friend, with your teachers. And so I started to think about that a lot as I was reaching back into the music from the 80s and 90s. And I started to think about the person that I was during that era of my life and all this, all, all that I was struggling with. And... And then it became a sort of process of reconciliation mm -hmm. for me, making the album and coming, kind of forgiving myself um, for mistakes I have made. And, and then when I came to name the album, I immediately knew that that's what it needed to be. It's about reconciling the phantoms that live within us. Because at some point as you get older, you, you, want, you find this need to reconcile them and to become whatever it is that you could define for yourself as your true self mm. so i wanted that also in the video to be captured i chose that color blue i just sent the director i said this is the color i want of the video because cobalt blue is my favorite color it's mm. actually for me it even though it's a cold color in the spectrum it's an incredibly warm place when i when i even think of that color i immediately feel it soothes me. So I knew I wanted to be in that color. And I, I wanted to play with this sense of these mirror images to kind of really draw out that um, this the idea of dual personalities. Mm. Do you feel that uh, I feel that people are feel guilty uh, of having that dual personality that having a, a different face for like you said your mother your partner your friends is that something you think uh we should worry about or you say to reconcile but is it okay to feel guilty ever about this i don't think it's something one needs to feel guilty about i think it's a it's a it's a part of who we are because if we even want to get more esoteric about it you know we are i'd like to hope that we are a lot more than than this physical body that we're not just made of uh, of bone and flesh, mm -hmm. you know. So if there is something more, I mean, we are all eternally, mankind forever has and forever will be struggling with what is our purpose, who are we really? And I don't think that that it's a mystery that will ever be solved. So I don't think there is any need to feel guilt about the different personas that we develop, but I do feel that there are times I have met people in my life who have had li have had prior lives you know I've met let's say for example a few of my friends are army vets or you know there are people who live certain parts of their lives that they would like to forget right and um Maybe we've um, we all do things at some point in our life where you know we we take a wrong path and we regret it, but that becomes part of who we are, 
And when I talk about reconciliation, it's just at one point um, embracing and forgiving oneself and allowing for ourselves to be multidimensional, that it's okay to, to be all these different aspects. We don't need to just be one person with everyone. Mm. You know, I think there's so much beauty in that. And that's why it's good, you know, if you're married, you're, you you got to have a life outside of your marriage. Or if you're a parent, you know, I'm a mother, I need a break from that to go out and just be silly and be, you know. So you, you we need that. Hmm. I read in a previous interview, you were talking about the importance of lullabies. And I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> we need lullabies. Yeah. We need lullabies. They... They, they become an invisible uh, vibration that connects us to the world before we get to know it, you know, and through the mother's voice. Do you, uh, do you listen to music while you're recording, uh, in the process of recording? Do, or do you... I get all my inspiration from... I get all my inspiration from music, actually. I'm, I'm not one of those people that... I know some people get inspired when they go out in nature or... You know, but I'm the opposite. If I'm somewhere very beautiful, I don't want to work. I just want to sit and kind of absorb that. But, you know, I, I listen to a lot of music and I love music. And um, and I try to always find inspiration in in what I listen to. And I listen to music from all over the world. I just, mm. I love, especially folk music from different parts of the world. That I, I love that. And um, and then I, I I just allow it to sort of inspire me, you know, and and try my best to um, that I'm not sort of. I like my music to be inspired by and not derived, not not derivative right, of right. you know, and that's a very tough balance. Right, it must be too easy. I, I've met a lot of musicians who completely sequester themselves when when they're recording. They don't want anything to seep in, and I always wonder if that's a good idea. Uh, as you said, you like to be inspired. I could never do that. I couldn't. I love music too much. You know? mm. What are you listening to right now? Well, what's on uh, heavy rotation? Actually, I don't have anything that's on heavy rotation. I'm always kind of mixing things around. What's odd is I end up returning to a lot of my old catalog of music just because it it also. Um, I just feel that there's so much, just like there's fast food, there's so much fast music now, you know, it's just like, it's just for a very short term consumption mm. and it doesn't last very long, you know, but I love a lot of the stuff that's very interesting to me right now that's happening is a lot of, um, with Netflix and Amazon Prime and all these great TV shows and European shows that are making their way to us. A lot of the soundtracks from these shows are remarkable because one, one thing that I love is the mixture of classical music and uh, electronic music. Mm. It's really interesting. So I love the Icelandic composer Olafur Arnalds. I don't know if you've ever heard his work. I haven't. He scored Broadchurch and he um, he's a classical musician but he blends very minimal electronic music also. So I, I love that hybrid. I also love Trent Moeller. He's a wonderful electronic artist. I love, um, there's so much I love. I hate when I have to say it because then I'll leave <laughs> and I'll say, why didn't I say that, you know? Oh, it, it happens So, so I listen to <laughs> so much, uh, it's a, a huge variety of music, but I tend to listen to music more seriously now. I don't. I don't really have music that I put on just to do dishes or something, which mm. is, 
I know it's it's a serious commitment from you when I put music on. I really am actually listening to it. Are you reading uh, their their biographies and interviews and all that sort of thing? Or? No, unless some unless I discover someone new that is just remarkable, and then I want to know everything about them and you know what what makes them tick. You know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm a geek like that anyway. <laughs> a music lover. Yeah. yeah, yeah, as we all are. Yes, <laughs> as we all should be. Yes. <laughs> Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. No, you haven't. Thank yeah. you. What a wonderful interview. What lovely questions. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So thank you again for doing this. So one this. thing 